Well, welcome in, folks, off of what has been a busy weekend in the sweet science, a busy weekend for me personally, the host, T.J. Reeves, a busy weekend always for Dan Rayfield because he's our insider, our content partner on BigFightWeekend.com, and the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast as well. You read Dan on his Substack. He's always got news, notes, the boxing schedules, the champions list, his pound-for-pound list, all of it. You should be subscribing, if you're not, to Fight Freaks Unite on his Substack. But you get this here podcast without having to pay for it. You get the audio version of what you read a lot of times from Dan. Um, Dan has got a little more saucy on the podcast, a little more salty with the language, too. I don't see the F words and the GDs when he's writing, but you, you get that on the podcast every now and then. Uh, I love my hair down, man. We do not have a swear jar. We do not have a swear jar on the podcast. Maybe we need to get one. Uh, and then I'll get to go have a good meal with Mrs. Reeves. But in any event, Dan Rayfield, good to be with you off a weekend that has seen Shakur Stevenson, stripped or not, won his main event in the top-ranked ESPN show in New Jersey. It has seen Joe Joyce solidify himself in the WBO now as the interim heavyweight champ with a win, a KO win over Joseph Parker. We've had some busyness that we're here to recap. How you feeling coming off the weekend? I'm looking forward to discussing it all. It was a, it was a you know, for a... Uh, a week that was kind of busy with some fights with names. It, it was maybe a little under the radar, but they produced the Joyce and Parker fight was a tremendous battle. Uh, and despite the disappointment of Shakur uh, being stripped because of uh, not making the weight, although that was a fairly one-sided fight, it was entertaining the way that uh, he went about taking Kansasau apart and the, the heart that Kansasau showed seeing a tremendous performance from Keyshawn Davis on the undercard. Uh, and even our good friend, uh, Floyd Mayweather back in action in his exhibition match that I, I, uh, I stayed up and watched uh, late, late Saturday night into early Sunday morning from Japan where he wiped out an MMA fighter in two rounds that uh, uh, guilty as charged for watching and being entertained by it. You've been entertained by Floyd for 15 plus years. Why not watch some more of him? Probably more uh, like over 20 years. Over 20 years now at this point. We've got much to obviously cover. Again, a reminder, we come your way preview mode into the weekend, usually on Friday. Recap mode comes out on Sunday night into Monday morning. Hopefully you're following here on the Big Fight Weekend a podcast feed or subscribing. If you are not, you need to be doing so because we're going to have some unique stuff. I mean, for example, you have recently talked to Deontay Wilder. They're going to hear that on the podcast or the podcast feed coming up. You've recently talked to Devin Haney, who's about to fight George Cambosis for a second time, undisputed lightweight title. They'll, my point is they'll automatically get these conversations if they're following or subscribing. You don't have to wait for a social media link. Dan Substack to direct you, bigfightweekend.com to, to direct you. Uh, we want you to find us and to follow us on the podcast or subscribe, whatever the case is, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. It doesn't cost you here, and, and you're going to get great content. And as Dan has now grown accustomed to saying, tell them what they're going to get when there's something new that's on there so that they don't have to be prompted any further. What are you going to get? Well, in the immortal words of my pal TJ Reeves, you can get the ding, you can get the bell, you yep. get the vibration, you get yep. the red light, yep. you get that notification that it's the new right podcast there. is up. Because this came up on Sunday night late or Monday morning, whatever the case is, and you got notified. You got notified. You found out what was going on. I do know this. Some of the numbers are coming in. We do have international audience. We have people listening to us in Europe. We have people listening to us in the UK. So my friend, when this podcast goes up, sometimes late night, Sunday night, it's already early Monday. Monday, they're waking up, et cetera, having breakfast. I'm sure we've got British fans that are listening to us for your comments on the Joyce win over Parker. So uh, cheerio. We're glad that you're with us uh, over in the UK for breakfast on a Monday as Rayfield and I 
uh, riff some here on a recap podcast. All right, recaps of the fights coming. First news of the week, you uh, you got some info, some quotes from Alexander Usyk, who now has a finite number of fights, he says, that he believes he's going to have before he retires. Tell us more real quick. We'll do some news, and then we'll do some recaps. So Usyk is 35 years old. He's only got 20 professional fights, but he feels like the end of his professional career is done. He had a long amateur career. He's made crazy amounts of money in the last couple of fights. Uh, and so he's seeing the end of his career in, uh, in the near future. And so he had an interview uh, that was uh, posted on his YouTube channel where he did. It was in Ukrainian, but it was English subtitled. And he said he has three more fights left. And he said the fights that he wanted, which were uh, an undisputed championship fight against Tyson Fury, which is the same thing he said where he stood in the ring after he defeated uh, Anthony Joshua in the rematch back in August. That's obviously the biggest heavyweight fight that there is in the sport right now to crown that undisputed champ. Uh, doesn't seem like it's uh, happening imminently, but hopefully it will take place uh, in the first part of next year. The second fight, he said he wants to fight Canelo, and that was based on Canelo saying he wanted to fight Usyk prior to his defeat against Dimitri Bivol. And at least Usyk was honest when he said that's the quote-unquote freak fight, and that would be just for the money. But that would be an attraction, obviously, even though, you know, as much as uh, – I have uh, massive respect for what Canelo has accomplished in his greatness, uh, his Hall of Fame career. Uh, he has no chance to beat Usyk, in my opinion, but that's a podcast for another right, day. Right. And then he said he would like to have a farewell fight, go home. He didn't mention a specific opponent, but there's uh, the Olympic Ski Stadium uh, in Kiev, which is the big national stadium in Ukraine, to have a farewell fight there. Obviously, that would be complicated at this moment in time, given uh, what's happening in his country with the Russian war. Uh, but that's what he said uh, is his mindset in terms of as he brings his career to a close and uh you know hopefully he'll get the fights he wants i don't know about the canelo fight but i hope he gets the fury fight it would be great if he could go out in his own terms with a farewell fight in the uk obviously we're going to talk about the joseph parker and joe joyce fight that has implications on Usyk's career because with the victory joe parker uh, i rather uh, uh joe joyce became the WBO mandatory challenger and Usyk was real particular in the interview where he said, you know, the, uh, in, the mandatories didn't really interest him. No, I mean, look, he's not ducking guys, obviously, but he, you know, it's hard to get up for those kinds of fights when you see big mega fights out there, like against Tyson Fury, um, that, that are, you still have to prepare just as hard for them. And let's be honest, the Joe Joyce fights a, a really tough fight if he were to fight that guy. So uh, it feels like when Joe Joyce gets the opportunity for the title, it will be because he gets elevated from the interim champion and then he'll begin to defend that particular belt. But that that's still a little bit in the future. All right. So there's the news from Usyk. Uh, Fury continues to maintain he's fighting December 3rd. We'll believe that when we see it. Who's it against? We'll wait and see. Uh, so the heavyweight picture will be a big topic on this recap podcast. Still shooting through some news of the week. Gennady Golovkin got informed by the WBA of, and he informed the WBA of, of what the back and forth was about the mandatory. So Dan, give us the very latest since last we had a podcast on what this means on Golovkin returning to middleweight and at least having to hang on to the WBA portion if he wants to. Sure. Uh, you know, this has not come as a surprise because in the, in the several weeks prior to his fight against Canelo, their third fight, the w, WBA in a series of rulings with other divisions also made it very clear that in terms of the middleweight division, that Triple G would uh, be allowed, of course, to challenge for the WBA super middleweight title, along with the other belts in terms of uh, the Canelo fight for the undisputed title. And whether he won or lost, the, the question would be, will you retain your super middleweight title if you win? If you lose, are you going to stay at super middleweight or are you going to come back to middleweight defend? That if you're going to come back to defend 
or you're going to come back to the middleweight division, you had X number of days to notify the WBA particularly what your plans were because they want to get on with their show of trying to consolidate their various titles that they were terrible and making so many available in the first place, mm-hmm. but at least they have seen the error of their ways and are trying to reduce those titles. So the bottom line is because you have uh, triple G with the su- so-called super title and Arislandi Lara with the regular title, the mandate was, you must tell us uh, after he lost to Canelo, he said publicly to everybody that would ask uh, that he was going to come back to the middleweight division. His attorney sent the WBA a letter saying, yes, indeed, he is planning to return to the middleweight division to defend his championship. And at that point within the deadline, which was this past Friday, September 23rd, that uh, he would be ordered to fight Arislandi Lara, who was the regular champion. They gave them 30 days to make a deal. Otherwise there would be a purse bid, but the fight itself would not have to take place for 120 days, which puts it into the early part of next year. Uh, the split on the purse bid, if it goes that far, would be 75-25. And so now it's going to be up to Triple G. Listen, he doesn't have to fight Arislandi Lara. He can still make a lot of money and fight whoever he wants. Um, he's a free agent on TV. He's a free agent promotionally. He made tons and tons of money against Canelo. He still has the IBF title. And, uh, you know, he could do that fight. I have to say, though, TJ, if he does decide to fight Lara, at this stage of Triple G's career and where get where Lara is, having slowed down a little bit also, I think that would actually be probably a highly entertaining fight. Is it realistic? And the timeline, again, is they want the WBA, the fight, to be in 120 days. That's like February, right? If my math is right, January, February. How realistic is it going to be that it happens, and can it happen that soon? I mean, I think it's it's realistic. It's To me, it's a matter of, does Golovkin want to return uh, in that in that quick of a fashion? I mean, look, he didn't take punishment against Canelo to any major degree, like he, you know, like uh, even though he lost the fight. Um, and if he wants to be a little bit more active, then February seems to be a reasonable time frame to come off of a fight in September. Uh, but if he decides he wants a little bit more time again, a he could petition the WBA and say, "Look, I want to do this fight, but I need a little more time." They probably would go along with that. Um, or he could, like I said, he could vacate that particular title, which I doubt he would do because I know how much the belts mean to Gennady. Um, but he would still have uh, the other title that he that he has at the moment. So I don't know. That that's up for uh, up for debate. But I'll say this: uh, the WBA is just simply following through with what they said they would do, and now the onus is on Triple G and on Arislandi Lara if they are interested. Now, the one thing about it is because Gennady's not encumbered by any promotional or, or TV I- issues, uh, certainly he could make a deal with PBC and Al Heyman to do that fight. Cause that's where Lara has been, uh, you know, for many, many years fighting with, uh, with the PBC and, and, and his man, you know, works with Al Heyman for so long. All right. We'll see if that one happens. Uh, you have news too. And I, I, before we even started the podcast here, I said to you, hasn't this been almost two years and it has with uh, the checkered out of the ring uh, situations over and over again with Gervonta Davis. This is a hit and run car accident that he's allegedly involved in, in the Baltimore area that took place, what, Dan, November, 2020. And what is the latest? Are you ready for my big word on a sunny night after I've had a long weekend where I've been in Lubbock, Texas, doing college football and my Buccaneers have been playing the green Bay Packers. I'm ready. I'm ready for some big words. Jurisprudence. Give me some (laughs) update on the jurisprudence with Gervonta Davis and what's going on with this hit and run situation in Baltimore from nearly two years ago. Well, the charges have been pending, like you said, for quite a while. There was this incident in November of 2020 where he is accused of uh, smashing his uh, uh, Lamborghini SUV into another car and with four other pe- you know, four people in that car leaving the scene of the accident. Uh, apparently, you know, witnesses they said it was him. There's supposedly video footage because of where it took place. There was, uh, uh, you know, cameras in the, in the 
in the, on the street cams. that traffic cams, cams exactly yeah. that that showed that he was involved in any event it's been going on for a while but the thing that i found interesting about what happened this was a a, a hearing that was just a few days ago is that his attorneys and the prosecutors from uh you know from maryland came to a plea agreement that would see uh davis plea in the case and get like six months of home confinement and i don't know what they are maybe some community service or a fine or whatever uh, and normally, if you're familiar with how the, the legal system works, is if the prosecutors and the and the, the person accused, their teams agree on the plea deal, they take it to the judge who has to then approve uh, that that deal. So that's exactly what happened. And that was what this uh, this hearing was about. But the judge in the hearing denied the plea agreement and said uh, that they weren't going to accept it because it didn't have any element of jail time and that the judge felt that because of the serious nature of what had occurred, uh, that there should be some jail time involved in this. So Gervonta uh, Tank Davis has got some problems because, uh, you know, this is going to go, uh, the trial is supposed to start because they denied the, um, the the plea agreement. So he's facing these 14 charges involved. And it's, a, you know, we, I read some of the comments, uh, you know, the Baltimore Sun did a, did a lot of reporting on this, which is his hometown newspaper, and uh, had quotes in there, or which, which from one of the testimonies of one of the, the people involved in the accident was a woman who was pregnant who mm-hmm. said that Davis like looked right at her and just took off and didn't help her even to show she was pleading with him to assist her. Um, and, and that's not a good look, obviously, um, in any Especially way. You, with you his past. All right. And a couple clarifications. So in uh, Maryland, you live in Virginia. I live in Florida. For most people that are in the United States, in almost every state, it is a felony to leave the scene of an accident that has bodily harm. And especially sure. if you do it with more people, it's a felony each time. That's the multiple charges. So if all four of those people are injured, hypothetically here, that's four felony charges of leaving the scene with bodily harm. And in most states, that's big trouble. And it is uh, in this case, I do remember so, because we wrote about it as well on Big Fight Weekend. He claimed at one point that someone else was driving. He was a passenger in the car. This was also like the week after his knockout, that devastating one punch knockout of Leo Santa Cruz. And the interesting thing is he had that car in San Antonio with him because there was video like on the Showtime buildup of the fight of him in that car. That's the car in the wreck. So I'm just filling in some gaps. Yeah. What, what's the so, latest on how this gets resolved? Just real quick. Well, going I mean, to he's going to go to a, the trial uh, is supposed to start December 12th okay. in Baltimore. It's the, you know, you, you never know for sure, but the estimate was that it would be about a two day trial. Uh, if he's convicted on all charges, uh, the maximum, I mean, the maximum is always sound more scary because they usually, if, you know, if it gets a maximum, they usually consolidate them and it's time, you know, they put it together, however you want to slice it up. But the bottom line is, if he's convicted of all charges and he were to get the maximum, he faces 50 months in prison, which is mm. four years and two months. And in terms of the, you know, putting aside the serious nature of what he faces, just in, in terms of boxing, uh, which in, in his world at the moment probably shouldn't be the priority. It should be trying to deal with this particular legal issue. But he's supposedly coming back to have a fight in December. Now, if he's facing a trial on December 12th, uh, it, it would it would seem as though He's not going to be away in training camp. He's going to have to be in the courtroom for his own trial. Obviously, that could certainly have a, a major impact on whether or not he fights again by the end of this year. So that's kind of up in the air. But unless something dramatic happens with the court, maybe they go back with an with an updated plea agreement where, you, you where they say, OK, I was going right serve there. six I weeks was or two going months. right there and you beat me yeah. to it. Right. So that that's that's 
what they're looking at. So nothing is so determined. Here's one thing that I know, and I know enough to be dangerous. My mother thought, Rayfield, that I should be a lawyer. So I know enough to be dangerous about the law. I follow it. I talk to lawyers all the time. When a judge, and I, and I keep up with things like this, when a judge rejects a plea agreement like this, the general reason is because the judge is going on precedence of what is a previous plea agreement resulted in. And remember, for the most part, judges do not want their rulings undone one way or the other. It's an embarrassment for them. It's a waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of the taxpayer's time. So if the, if for whatever reason, somebody would want to appeal on a conviction or on a plea agreement or whatever, for whatever grounds, judges are there to remain impartial, to enforce. So again, I'm giving you a lot of legal, a little legal background. This just says to me that the judge has precedent in Maryland on previous stuff where it shows jail time is part of the plea. Now, so don't the forget to reject TJ. it. That I think I think that has to be there. But go ahead. Now, it's certainly possible that he goes to trial December the 12th. They go through the trial over the few days and the jury finds him innocent. And there's no jail time because he's just let off the hook uh, and they find him innocent. Uh, that seems unlikely. And I say that only because not because I'm making an assessment of whether he's innocent or guilty. I mm -hmm. don't know. Everybody is is innocent until proven guilty. But that his own team went to them with a plea agreement saying he would plead guilty if this was the, the punishment, meaning the six months. So, you know, we're going to have to just wait and see how the legal process plays out. I'm not one to sit here and, uh, you know, I'm happy to Monday morning quarterback or make my opinions on, on boxing related issues. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, this is more serious than a boxing match. Let's see how it plays out. You hope for the sake of uh, Javante Davis and for the folks that were involved in the accident, that everything works out for the best. Uh, the, the one other point just to add is that, Three of the people that were involved in the accident, apparently, according to the Baltimore Sun's reporting, have already made out of out of court settlements on civil litigation. The woman who I mentioned that was pregnant that had testified against him, um, she still has an ongoing civil litigation against him, as well as this criminal charge that he all faces. Right. So important facts on all of this. And look, let's be honest, full disclosure here. He's had problems being arrested Ugh, for trying to punch tons. somebody in a mall in Virginia two, three years ago, domestic violence in Miami around the Super Bowl. TJ, right he has a rap sheet that's a mile long. So there's a lot of problems out of the ring. And this is more serious stuff again. And you uh, you were absolutely right. That's bigger right now than when is he back in the ring and when is he fighting later this year is to get this resolved. And well, also, they, and just, just to, to wrap it up, you know, there's been so much talk like that somehow, some way they're making this fight between Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia, which I don't believe, but that's besides the point. That would theoretically be that December fight. Mm. If he's facing a trial on these types of criminal charges, again, I can't say for certain, but that would just seem highly unlikely. Not out of the realm of possibility. Remember, and I've, this is, it's not unprecedented. I covered a long time ago when Diego Corrales was about to go to prison uh, for domestic violence against his pregnant girlfriend, and he ended up taking the fight against Floyd Mayweather, and soon after, he went to jail. Floyd Mayweather, con, you know, similar many, many years after that, was had already been convicted or pled out and was going to serve time in jail for his own domestic uh, situation and was allowed to stay out long enough to fight Miguel Cotto. And then after that fight, he went and served his time. So it is not unprecedented that a, a fighter uh, who finds himself in some type of legal jackpot can go through with the fight and then report to jail. If that's if Great he, if reference he, points, this is why we have you here. Love the man's insight. All right, let's get to it. Recap mode here. Fight freaks unite Friday night. Top rank ESPN card did see Shakur Stevenson and Robin and Robson or Robson Conceição of Brazil uh, battle. And it was really a dominant performance by Stevenson in the end. Uh, Dan, give us your assessment of that. And real quick on the undercard, in the recap mode from Friday night in Newark, New Jersey. 
Well, going into the fight, the big thing was Shakur is going home to Newark, New Jersey to defend the unified titles. He had unified the titles against Oscar Valdez back at the end of April. Uh, Valdez had had a controversial victory prior to that against Kansasa, who viewed himself, as did many, as the uncrowned champion. So this was the opportunity for Shakur to a shine against a guy that many people thought should have rightfully had the belt that he won from Valdez. Uh, good matchup. Both guys were Olympic medalists. Shakur with a silver medal. Contessao, a three-time Olympian who had won a gold medal for Brazil and uh, is, a, is a very quality fighter. And uh, I was I was a little surprised. Not, I wasn't shocked by that Shakur was the winner of the fight. I mean, that was to me, I never doubted that. But the domination from the beginning to the end, the outright domination was very impressive. Uh, you know, Despite the weight problems and and the uh, uh, the stripping of the titles, which you know had a loom in his mind at some way, shape, or form, he went out there and fought a great fight. It may not be the most exciting style, but it's extraordinarily effective. He took a really quality fighter like Robson Kotsasau and made him look like he didn't belong in the ring with him. He won going away, 117-109 twice, 118-108 on the other scorecard. I had it 119-107. Just an absolutely dominating performance. He scored a knockdown uh, in the fourth round. Uh, you know, it was, uh, other than not getting the knockout, it's about as good of a, as a performance as you can get. And the other thing that was impressive is he drew over 10,000 people to the Prudential center on a Friday night, uh, which was the record for boxing in that venue, which has hosted many fights over the years, including uh, a lot of a series of very popular fights with, uh, Thomas Adamek, who drew a large, uh, turnout for his events, back a number of years ago uh, from the Polish population that he drew from. But Zab Judah fought there. There's been all kinds of fights in that building. And so Shakur in his first main event as a, well, he wasn't the champion because he'd been stripped, but going in right. as it's supposed to be a title defense, you know, he proved that he can draw that, that the gate for the fight, I am told was well in excess of $800,000, which is nothing to sneeze at, at that level. Um, he's got now a home base where he can go you know, and, and it's in Newark as opposed to, you know, even though New York City is like just a few miles away over the bridge, it's a different audience. Uh, it's much more expensive to put on a promotion at Madison Square Garden or even in the theater or at Barclays Center in Newark. That's his people. That's his, his, uh, his, you know, the places where he, you know, he grew up a couple of miles from the arena. So, you know, that's truly the hometown. And, and he just shredded Kansasau. And now he's moving up to the lightweight division, which is already, if you follow boxing, you know, it's one of the best divisions in the entire sport. Even with the exit of Teofimo Lopez to 140, even with the exit of Ryan Garcia to 140, it's still home to Tank Davis. It's still home now to Shakur Stevens, who is moving up into that weight class. It's still home to Devin Haney, the undisputed champion. It's still home to George Cambosis. It's still home to younger fighters like Michelle Rivera. It's still home to you know contenders like Joseph Diaz Jr. and William Zapata. It's just a hell of a division. And uh, Shakur Stevenson's going there, and he's going to be a problem, as they say. All right. Uh, on oh, and you also asked about the undercard. Undercard, yes. Keyshawn Davis, very impressive. And what else from the Friday night top rank undercard stood out? Well, Keyshawn Davis is another guy. He may not be in the in the list of contenders in the lightweight division at the moment, but he's not that far away from it, even though he's only got a handful of fights at six and zero now. But he was the silver medalist in the in the Tokyo Olympics. He's taken on a better grade of opponents. Uh, in terms of what he did on, on Friday, Omar Tienda, fifth round knockout, a guy that had like 30 professional fights was like 25 and five going into the fight. And he just completely dominated him. Every time yep. he touched him with a right hand, he hurt him. He stopped him in the fifth round. And Keyshawn Davis is just putting uh, experience in the bank and, you know, getting the reps that he needs. And I would say without question, 
when we get to this time next year and he's got another three or four fights under his belt, you know, top rank will be stepping up into the bigger fights. Interesting point about him, and I want your feeling, Dan Rayfield, Keyshawn Davis, we talked about. He had two or three pro fights, and because of the quirkiness of the COVID-19 pandemic, they could not have the Olympic trial qualifying like they wanted to uh, for the 2021 games. So they basically said, for the year-delayed games in Tokyo, they said, even if you've had a few fights, for one exception only here, this Olympics, we're going to allow you to go back and be an amateur if you were already qualified, and he was. My point is, he went in those Olympics and he fought three or four world-class fighters in the tournament to get all the way to the gold medal fight. Now he's had two or three professional fights after that. He's had a lot of seasoning, even though in the last, let's say, couple of years, two, two and a half years, even though he doesn't have a ton of pro fights, I think we got to remember what he was doing in August of last year in that tournament to help him with his seasoning. Keyshawn Davis, your thought on that? Well, just remember, the you know, amateurs uh, have always been what uh, made up the Olympic field, but now professionals are allowed in the Olympic Games. So it wasn't like Team USA just did him the favor. Uh, they needed a, a somebody. He had already accumulated enough points as an amateur mm-hmm. to make the team, and he turned pro after he left Team USA. And then at the last minute, basically, he was called back and asked, you know, would you like to represent the country? Of course, he said yes. It was a huge opportunity. I'll tell you a funny story about that. He had had a pro fight, maybe two pro fights, where he was not signed to a promoter. It was just like his mother, who, who was managing him, was helping him. They put him on a – I think Eddie Hearn used him on a card when he turned pro. He fought yes. on a card in uh, – in uh, in the UAE, he then fought on a second uh, Eddie Hearn card, which was when Eddie Hearn promoted a Canelo fight. I believe it was the Billy Joe Saunders. It card. was. It was. So here's a funny story. So his so Keyshawn was on the card. His his older brother Kelvin Davis, who's now also signed to top rank, a prospect in his own right, was on the card also. And it just so happens that the next morning after that fight, so he okay back up before he went in the ring that night on the Canelo Saunders undercard like a day or two before the fight, he had gotten a call from, from USA boxing, getting, giving him the Olympic spot. He was super excited about it, but he kept it quiet. Nobody knew about it. Now, fast forward to the Sunday morning after he'd won the professional fight on the Canelo Billy Joe Saunders fight. And just by coincidence, I was in a, a van match room. You know, whenever there's a big fight, the promotion always has like vans and cars running back and forth to the airport uh, on the Sunday to take people to and from, you know, to get to their flights and stuff. I was able to hop in one of the matchroom vans and went to the airport. It so happens that in that van on that morning, the only ones in the van besides the driver were me, Keyshawn Davis and Keyshawn's brother, Kelvin. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're making small talk. And it's the first time I've met the kid. And it's we're like talking a ride share, except it's Rayfield and Keyshawn Davis and his brother. Keep going. Exactly. So we're, we're having a nice conversation, you know, good luck. Good, good job last night to both you guys. I look forward to watching you in the, in the, in the future. And, and, uh, you know, he didn't say anything to me. He didn't really know me at that point. I've now interviewed him several times and, you know, have a little bit of a rapport with the guy. But uh, as I come to find out, like within the next day or two, you know, that kid I was in the van with is going to represent Team USA in the Olympics. And sure enough, he goes to Tokyo and does a great job and comes home with a silver medal. And uh, I just thought that was kind of a, a funny story to be like, he's trying to hold it in and not tell anybody. And we're riding to the airport for half an hour uh, to, to, to our flights, uh, on the way home after he wins his, uh, I guess it was his second or third professional fight, but uh, look, Keyshawn is now six and zero, and he's going places in a big way. And I agree with that. Anything else before we wrap the top rank card and move on to the Queensberry card at Manchester, England, where Joe Joyce won in the main event. Anything I'll just else? say one other, one other thing on the top rank undercard. This was part of the ESPN plus portion 
of the preliminaries. They have a young featherweight from New York City named Bruce Shushu Carrington, uh, and he's just a tremendous talent. He's a great prospect also, and uh, he won his fight, looked good doing it, and uh, that's definitely a fighter that people should keep an eye on. Good enough. All right. So for the uh, Queensberry show, Joe Joyce, the headliner, let's just get right into it. You already mentioned uh, that Joyce was victorious and now puts him in a great position with the WBO. He had a lot of success against Joseph Parker throughout the fight, eventually got a stoppage in that fight. You always ridicule me. I hit the single and just went with Joyce on the money line and he got it. You were looking for the decision and the over and it narrowly missed. But again, give me your thoughts on Joyce, his performance, his victory, and what it sets up for him real quick, if you would. Well, I missed the over by maybe like 20, 30 seconds, but such is life. Uh, In any event, uh, Joe Joyce and Joe Parker, tip of the hat to those guys. They let it all hang out. They put on a great fight. If you haven't haven't seen it, make sure you go back and and find the replay, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess it's still on ESPN Plus, or you could probably find that on YouTube. But the bottom line is, (laughs) if you like heavyweight fights or just good fights, that was a hell of a fight. These guys let it all hang out. They gave everything they had, uh, nothing but respect for what those guys did. They put on a great show. It was very competitive for the first six rounds or so. Uh, I, I thought that Joyce was was definitely winning, but it wasn't like Parker was not competitive round in and round out. He won a couple of those early rounds also. Uh, but after, like, I guess during round six, actually, you could just see sort of like the energy level, just like the, 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 the gas tank was going towards empty very quickly because Joyce started just laying a beating on him. I don't know if he just caught him with a shot that hurt him or he just got uh, fatigued or whatever, but from the sixth round on, it was all Joe Park. It was all Joe Joyce rather. And, you know, I was actually uh, after the fact, when I looked at the punch stats, it's dramatic. The difference, like the punch stats, again, they, they're not end all be all, but they do paint a pretty reasonable picture of the way a fight goes, you know, suddenly instead of being very even in terms of punches thrown and landed for both guys for the first six rounds, all of a sudden Joyce is landing way more punches and throwing way more mm-hmm. punches than, uh, than Parker was. And in the end, uh, Joyce has a great chin. There was one point in that fight where, where uh, Joseph Parker landed probably the best right hand he could land right on the button. And Joe Joyce looked like it didn't even touch him. And so that has, even when you're losing the fight, when you land your best punch and the other guy basically smiles at you and walks through you, that has to be extremely discouraging to that guy that lands that shot, because what the heck do you do now? I'm getting beat up. I'm taking huge punches. And even when I land my best punch, the guy doesn't budge. And I have nothing else. What else can I pull out of my, my bag of tricks or my, my toolbox? There's nothing sure. left to do. So in the combination of him getting, getting nailed with all kinds of punches from Joe Joyce to that add to the body, and, and Joyce landed a tremendous number of body punches. He did a great job with his body attack. And, and the other guy, Parker, throwing and also landing, but not doing any damage at all. And the other guy's just walking right through him. Uh, in the end, he just couldn't keep up with that combination of the uh, give and take that Joyce was able to, to dish out and to take finally just knocked him down in the 11th round with a big left hand. And, you know, Joyce's credit, he got to his feet, but it was just after the referee had counted him out. So he was trying to get up and just, he just couldn't do it. And if it was a 12 count, you know, he'd have been, he'd have beaten the count, but uh, you know, and, and afterwards I watched the press conference, you know, he was cut up. He had to cut over the one eye, had a cut over the other eye, had a bloody nose at one point, you know, it got stitched up on the one eye, started bleeding during the press conference. Um, but you know, to, to Joe Parker's credit, and he's a class act and he's always, and he always has been, I've known him for years, uh, just no excuses gave Joseph, uh, gave Joe Joyce all the credit. You know, he beat me tonight. He's the better guy tonight. And, uh, I wish him good luck. And, uh, you know, what do I do next? Somebody asked him, he says, I'm just going to go, you know, take a rest and go back to the gym and work harder. But it was a worthy heavyweight fight, terrific fight. And 
you know, puts Joe Joyce in an awesome position as the mandatory now for the uh, Alexander Usyk WBO belt. And whether he gets to fight Usyk for the title or he just gets elevated remains to be seen. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I've been saying this before this fight. I've been saying this for a couple of years. Joe Joyce is like a guy that can contend and defeat on any given night anybody in the heavyweight division. That includes Usyk. That includes Tyson Fury. That you includes keep Deontay taking Wilder. my follow-up questions before I can ask them. So you're already putting that out there. I'm I was sorry, just but I'm about just... to go. I was just about to go there. Do you believe he's a serious threat? Oh, I don't no know, doubt. Seri- not serious threat, but you believe he's a threat because he can take a punch and he can punch. You keep saying that, and he demonstrated it again Saturday. One more time. I've quick. said that many times. I mean, he does a lot. He There's a lot of things he doesn't have that, that would you think he'd be dead. Hand he's speed, got no, no hand speed. He's got no foot speed. His defense is not anything special. He's kind of lumbering. He's kind of robotic. And, and those are all, that's however, all true. However, however, if you can take a punch like him and you can deliver a punch like him, all the other shit takes care of itself. Like if I'm going to have attributes as a heavyweight, give me a chin and give me power. And I don't care about speed. I don't care about defense. I mean, you'd, you'd like to have some of that stuff, but if you have to, you're on a, if you're on a menu and you can take, I'll take a helping of chin and i'll take a helping of power you know whatever that's what you're going to pick one from uh you know of, of those lists you're going to take those attributes and other stuff be damned uh he is and it's not just in today's present day just because of his size six foot eight or whatever he is you know 270 something pounds uh sturdy as heck great disposition unflustered keeps on trucking like i said good chin good power he would give a problem you stick him in the middle of the great era of 90s heavyweights with Lennox Lewis and Razor Ruddick and Mike Tyson and Evander and the second part of George Foreman's career and Michael Moore and all those heavyweights that we talk about, Ray Mercer and Tommy Morrison. He fits in with any of those guys. Right. I don't care right. what anybody says. I mean, right. I'm not anointing him a Hall of Famer, no. but I think he's competitive with he's anybody. He's legit. He's legit, yes. and he's demonstrated it by beating Dubois. He beat Carlos Takam. Whatever to come. I beat Brian Jennings. Now he, he just and now beat he down beat Parker. Joseph Parker. So, and by the way, a lot of people think that he very much deserved the Olympic gold medal, and he didn't get it when he fought Tony Yoko. So we could be talking about an Olympic gold medalist who's an undefeated contender. And uh, if you take a look at guys who've won heavyweight gold medals in 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 the you know over the course of time, Lennox Lewis, Anthony Joshua, you know mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali, although that was in yep. the in a, in the in the light heavyweight division, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. I mean, you know, the, there are you know, Vladimir Klitschko. When you're the heavyweight gold medalist, you're supposed to become the heavyweight champion. So he didn't officially get that because he got the silver in a controversial outcome. But he's living up to what an Olympic medalist is supposed to do as a professional. Good enough. Final few moments. Fight Freaks Unite recap. Rest of the card, Amanda Serrano won and was dominant yet again, although there's now bigger news out of the ring about a a real roadblock for her potential rematch with Katie Taylor. First, the fight, nondescript, dominant performance, basically. She was good. She didn't get the knockout, but she was good and got the win in the co-feature. Well, at least I went on our Bet US show. At least I got the over and the yes. decision on that one. Yes. So she was fighting Sarah Mafu to, you know, she was already Serrano, the WBO and the WBC women's featherweight champion. Remember her last fight in April, she fought and challenged Katie Taylor for the undisputed lightweight title. She dropped back down to featherweight to defend her titles in that weight class against Sarah Mafu, who was the IBF champion. And she unified by winning on an a easy route. She took a huge big lead and Mafud came back a little bit in the last couple of rounds, but not even remotely enough to actually win the fight. 
97, 93 times two. And, uh, you know, just a, a walk in the park, it seemed to me, for Amanda Serrano, who now uh, she would like to become the undisputed champion in that weight division. It doesn't seem like there would be a lot of hurdles to making that fight. The champion of the WBA is Erica Cruz Hernandez, who uh, might be familiar to some folks. She had had a, a fight um, on a Ring City USA car back uh, last year where mm-hmm. she won the title uh, and then had a rematch with uh, uh, Mergenovic and beat her uh, on the recent Eddie Hearn card that was in Mexico that had the, the great fight between uh, uh, the 108-pound the uh, title fight, uh, and that was an undercard fight. So she's just fought also. Amanda fought uh, just on Saturday. Hopefully they can make that fight. Amanda Serrano is a Hall of Fame-level women's boxer who deserves the opportunity to become the undisputed champion. You mentioned uh, about the possibility of the Taylor rematch, which I think everybody thinks will happen eventually. But as you mentioned, the problems now are that her promoter is Jake Paul and, and uh, Katie Taylor's promoter is Eddie Hearn and Eddie Hearn uh, this week, or I guess at the end of last week, when people hear this filed a $100 million lawsuit <laughs> against uh, Jake Paul. Uh, and, and it's nothing to laugh at because it's serious allegations. Jake Paul said in an interview that he felt like matchroom boxing was literally paying off uh, one of the judges that had gone against uh uh, their fighter in uh, in the fight and Serrano, had, right? Serrano, and also the same judge had, uh, I guess, scored the fight for Anthony Joshua, which is Eddie Hearn's fighter in the rematch with Usyk. You can't make those kinds of accusations. I mean, it's just not appropriate. If you have proof, fine, show it to the authorities. Otherwise, uh, the notion that there are that in this day and age of boxing that there are outright payoffs is highly improbable, particularly against a judge. Uh, and I don't want to name the judge because I don't want to put his name in a bad light because he's a good judge, uh, generally speaking, somebody I know and doesn't deserve to have his name dragged through the mud unnecessarily. Um, but that's obviously, if you're suing a guy for a hundred million dollars, it seems like it's going to be a problem to make a business deal to have one of your, one of your fighters fight one of their fighters. So yeah, uh, they're going to have to get that squared away, but it's nothing, to, it's nothing to, to screw around about. They gave Jake Paul the opportunity to, to, uh, to withdraw that comment, to apologize for it. He didn't do it. Eddie Hearn. And I'll say this in, in, in a sport of boxing, which is extremely litig- litigious, uh, I can't remember Eddie Hearn filing a lawsuit against anybody. Uh, you know, not to say there haven't been issues here and there, but he is not, and his company is not litigious, certainly not compared to other companies and other promoters and managers and boxers out there. So for Eddie to take that dramatic step of filing that kind of lawsuit, uh, I, he must have felt it was a lot more serious than, than the, the normal thing. So, I mean, you know, Eddie's got pretty thick skin, it seems to me. Um, but there's a difference between, between playfulness and, and, and banter and back and right. forth. And I've which done it with Eddie done, Which they've done a lot of when they were yes. promoting the Serrano-Taylor fight and some of the other stuff. They've Look, Eddie and I have had our each own. Other, right? We've had our own recently over the pay-per-view numbers, but I don't, I've never accused Eddie of, you know, of paying off a judge. You just can't do that. If I had proof, that's a different story. Or not just against Eddie, but anybody. If I had proof of any, any untoward action like that, that's one thing. But you cannot say that flippantly. That is that is damaging to one's reputation in business. Okay, one more thing, though, because they filed the lawsuit. It's all going back and forth publicly. Maybe it gets worked out with an apology and whatever and all of this. Because ultimately, we want Serrano-Taylor, the rematch, to happen. And maybe it's a leverage ploy, too, by, by Eddie Hearn. I don't want to go for another 15 minutes, but I'll just, I'll just say this. There's some <laughs> animosity with Amanda Serrano and Eddie Hearn in the first place because he was lording over her ability to try to fight somebody else or make some money uh, back in the summer and the late summer of 2020 because he was using the pandemic as a reason why you're going to have to fight Katie Taylor and fight 
on my terms for less money, and I'm invoking the pandemic, and the Serrano camp was unhappy with that. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So I'm just reading between the lines. I don't have inside knowledge here that there may be more drama to this where Serrano Taylor may not be the cinch to be a rematch anytime soon. I'm just Listen, at the end out. of the day, hopefully they just work out their differences that Jake Paul apologizes for saying something he shouldn't have said. Um, again, unless he has proof, that's one thing. Come forward with it. If not, apologize and everybody moves on. Hopefully Eddie would then uh, do the right thing also and drop the lawsuit and and put it behind them and they can do good business because those women deserve a rematch with each other. Uh, for all the stuff that we fans have put up with, we deserve to see the rematch since they both want it. It's a big event and uh, let's get it on. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Anything else on the Queensbury card? Are we good there? That was pretty much it. Yeah, that was the main event in Serrano there. Uh, you also watched the Floyd Mayweather fight again. Give that 90 seconds, please. What did you watch there with Floyd in an exhibition? Go ahead. Uh, Floyd Mayweather has now had his fourth exhibition since retirement, his second in Japan. And in his, in his four exhibitions, he now has two knockouts in Japan and two eight-round decisions, or not decisions because they don't render a score, but two other eight-rounders that went the route against uh, Donnie Moore and against Logan Paul, Jake's brother. But in the fight that, he, that took place late, late uh, Saturday night, it was afternoon in Japan, at the St. Thomas Super Arena, which has hosted fights like Donaire versus Inouye, and that's where Golovkin fought Ryota Murata. Anyway, it's one of the big arenas uh, that's out, right outside of Tokyo. Anyway, he fought a MMA uh, champion um, named Mikuru Asakura, who has got a level of fame and notoriety in Japan in a boxing match. And after basically not much happened in round one, it was like all-out action and slugfest in round two, and Floyd Mayweather took some solid shots from this guy but Floyd delivered a lot more and knocked him out with a right hand in the second round. And it was uh, for what it was, you know, I was highly entertained, you know, and Floyd can go there and uh, put on that kind of performance and pocket several million dollars for his time and trouble. So be it uh, the fact that he was uh, like 20 minutes late to the arena, uh, which is why it was delayed in the start. I guess there was traffic, but he should know that because he was late for the first exhibition he did there for the same reason because of traffic. Uh, so we got to get Floyd, a car service that leaves early enough to oh. get into the arena in time. But in any event, he allegedly look, it was, can it, afford it. You just got to get it worked out. <laughs> it was what it was. It was just a, it wasn't a real fight, but he entered, you know, he said it's going to be entertainment. And although it only lasted, uh, you know, a little less than two full rounds, it was only scheduled for three rounds in the first place. Um, you know, I didn't really care for the other fights that were on the undercard because it wasn't boxing matches. It was, you know, uh, more uh, kickboxing or MMA stuff that, uh, fighters I don't I don't follow or know anything about, so I had no interest in that. But when it came time for Floyd to get in the ring, if he wants to do some exhibitions at age 45, 46, and keep on pocketing millions to to put on a show in what is not real boxing, but still uh, commands some attention because of who Floyd is, you know what? I watched it. And you did for this weekend. Again, you're going to be writing more about all of this on uh, off the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite, your Substack. You've been doing so as well on BigFightWeekend.com. Are we good, my friend? I think we are. Let me just say to the good. audience, let me just say to the audience again for everybody in the state of Florida and the Gulf Coast of the United States, which includes Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, this hurricane is no joke. You're going to hear more about it as Sunday becomes Monday, Monday becomes Monday night and Tuesday, Hurricane Ian. So again, I'm in West Central Florida on the podcast here. So I'm just saying, Brother Rayfield, we're kind of touch and go here. We may have to evacuate, et cetera. It may not be coming to West Central Florida and the Tampa Bay area. It may be going somewhere else. But we'll still give you coverage on BigFightWeekend.com as best we can. Dan's got his sub stack. And then also 
Uh, by the same token, uh, the podcast, the preview podcast, the recap podcast, we do our best to be there for the peeps. Uh, you want to tell, podcast. before we get out of here, you want to let folks know we want to draw our winner for our prize. This is true. So you were giving away the ring key card or the room key card, excuse me, yes. for Canelo um, and Triple, Triple G1, G1. September of 2017, you have the, the poster likeness on a magnetic room key card. And also Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, you were giving both away. But we need to, we need to say to the peeps, you got to do a better job of screenshotting for us, tagging Dan, tagging Big Fight Weekend, either or both, that you have rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Because we got a bunch of reviews, which is great. We're happy for that. Keep reviewing us. Keep giving us a five-star review, et cetera, et cetera. But if you didn't take a screenshot where we know who you are, where I can come and identify you, we can't do the random draw. Only a couple of you did that. So, so do we want to give the peeps one more chance? One more I chance. I think we'll give them. We'll give them till the next podcast at the end of this Go coming week. Go take a screenshot and let us see it. Tag Dan on Twitter. <clears throat> tag Big Fight Weekend, and then we'll do the random drawing. Otherwise, you might have a 50-50 shot if you're one of the two people that already did it and followed directions. So. That's all we're saying is go in if you reviewed yeah. already and screenshot it. And so we like the reviews, but we want them to yes. show us that they did it so we can give them because the prize. Because this just into the newsroom. I have no way to find you, neither do you. We're not going to, exactly. we're not private investigators. We're not going to track you down unless you let us know who you are. So I, I'll say one more thing, by the way, TJ. So the upcoming week that we're about to embark on, yes. not a lot going on this week Correct. in terms of fights that take place next weekend. Very, very open uh, week as far as what's going on. It seems to me, it feels to me, if they can somehow get it done, it feels like the right week that we might hopefully get an announcement yes. on Spence and Crawford. Maybe so. Maybe so. I all hope right. so. so there's a bunch, there's a bunch uh, that has happened that we hope will happen before the end of the year. We'll be all over it here as part of this feed, the Big Fight Weekend uh, podcast feed. The Fight Freaks <clears throat> Unite recap comes off the weekend. Listen, my friend, have a good week. And again, we're going to try to stay safe down here in Florida in the Gulf South with the hurricane. And we'll see where that leads. Uh, read Dan on the Fight Freaks Unite Substack. Read us on BigFightWeekend.com. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. Always love being with you. All right, stay safe, and hopefully the hurricane misses you guys. Let's hope so. Let's hope it uh, misses anybody and everybody, and I know that's what you mean. No, uh, no serious damage for anybody, but it looks like it's headed into the Gulf of Mexico, and then where it goes after that Monday, Tuesday, remains to be seen. For now, we're good. We're here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed recapping things. We are done on Fight Freaks Unite. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Everybody have a good week. Bye.